CLS is go for main engine, start. Go at throttle up. Negative return. Then we see a nominal Miko. Welcome to space. Hey, Jake. Hey, man. I gotta say, I am so glad to have real you back. <laughs> real me. <laughs> real you. Yeah. Not some some Palo Alto concocted ethereal <laughs> whatever that was that we just had in the pre-show. I gotta say, oh man, I don't know. I I don't think I don't I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I'm there on the Apple Vision Pro yet. All right. Well, Elizabeth, you missed the demo. But I think, you know, based on what Jake's saying, you're, you would be happy to have missed the 3D demo. But Sounds yeah. like it, yeah. Yeah. You got to get to know actual me before you realize how good the, the 3D people are in that environment. That looks like right. me. Yeah. I've been with Lego the real hair. 3D you. Yeah, so now you'll know. The real 3D you, yeah. <laughs> you know how there was always like uh, in the early days of the internet, we always had the the like we had the the need to differentiate between our 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 real friends and our internet friends. Internet we had friends. like IR, yeah. IRL friends, right? <laughs> like, and and then we kind of realized like, no, our internet friends are real too. They're real people. Now those lines are blurred again, thanks to <laughs> Apple. So this is really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good technology. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So yeah, so enough about Apple. Uh, we have a <laughs> we have a great guest with us today, uh, Elizabeth Frank. Um, thanks uh, for coming. Welcome to the show. We're excited to talk to you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to be digging into some uh, interesting topics. So you, uh, we, reason we really wanted to have you on, obviously, you've been on uh, We Martians before. I don't know if you've done Miko yet. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. No, um, I listened to it. Okay, we got a fan. A she fan, won't after she sees my one, 3D visage. One fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but no, but you're you're uniquely positioned to uh, talk very um, authoritatively on the the blending between planetary science and commercial space, which are uh, sometimes kind of sounds like the the blending of Anthony and my interests. So, yeah, um, that's our Venn diagram. Uh, <laughs> this is a, <laughs> it's, it's the perfect Anthony take guest. So we're excited <laughs> to talk to you about because uh, there's been some there's been some news about this kind of stuff lately so yeah yeah for sure um yeah i guess that clips one is the one that's been on my mind recently um we're in between the first and the second launches now um and yeah the future of the program really remains to be seen i think nasa's holding <laughs> firm for now um but i believe was it february 22nd is the im launch is that or uh, no it's when they landing. land on the moon it, yeah and launches yeah, just, whenever launches like week <laughs> next or week something, valentine's right? day yeah. or something yeah 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 um i yeah i mean i've always been an advocate for commercial space as i've you know been in here and in the sector for the past eight or so years um but i would say the clips program is an experiment and we're watching the experiment play out in real time yeah yeah and as a scientist you know that sometimes the results are not always what you expect <laughs> yeah no, no one likes publishing on null results unfortunately but yeah. they do happen. <laughs> Oh, there we go. That's the new tagline for clips for me. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes publishing a null result. <laughs> don't put, wait, don't put my name associated with yeah, that. For no, for no reason. Can we quote? <laughs> on background. That was on background. On background. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Jake, yeah. what did, you bring, did you bring a drink back from the beach, by the way? You probably did. Uh, 
Well, kind of. I okay. You so always I'll bring, tell you, you travel story. and you bring drinks back for off nominal. I I'll tell you it. a story about how I tried to do that and failed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I went to this. I was on Isla Mujeres, which is like this little island off the coast of Cancun, and I went to like a tequila place, like a tourist tequila place that was like, here's all the weird kinds of tequilas. I'm like, that's perfect. I can make a weird thing. And so I'm like, this guy, you know, the salesperson was this chatty guy and we had tastings and stuff and we were playing around. I'm like, oh, I like this. I like this, like this. I'm picking out bottles. It's looking all great. And I picked out like three of these little bottles that are like, you know, I don't know. They're not a full size liquor bottle, maybe half that. I don't know what you call that. So I, there's regional names. We'd call that a Mickey back home in Alberta, but I don't know. If, I don't know. If what, what's the derivative else. of that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But no, I, Irish dude. Okay. You don't know. I don't know where it comes from. It's a Mickey. That's what it is. But, <laughs> uh, so I picked these bottles out and I was all excited for them. And I finally get to the till and I roll it over and look at the price tag on it. And the prices were so bad on this. Like, you know, a, a normal price for that liquor bottle should have been like $15. And like, I was ready to pay double that because I was on like in Cancun. And it was 10 times that. It was $300 for this little bottle. And I was like, what? So I just like wasted this guy's time. And I was like, I'm sorry, but like, there's nothing, there's no way you're bringing this price down to where I want to spend <laughs> on this. And so I had to walk out of the shop. And so I come back empty handed. <laughs> Apparently That's a Mickey nice is just a pint. Okay. And a and a half pint is a junior Mickey or a flat All in right. Canada. Okay. Uh so yeah. now I'm Googling why are pints called Mickeys in Canada? <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, anyway, so uh, I just made a normal margarita with normal tequila. So that's what I did. Well a tamarind a tamarind uh, margarita. Normal inflation for me, for inflation favorite, eating into the alcohol interest mm-hmm. of this show. <laughs> I mean, this this tequila is also from Mexico, so <laughs> that's, anyway. that's fair too. Yeah. Um, well, on the we topic got... of clips, uh, this is I've had this on the show before. But this is also like Peregrine made in Pittsburgh, Ghost Bomber oh, nice. Gin. I made a wow. little gin and tonic, Jake. I just you you left the pre-show a little early, but with the rest of the people, uh, 3D me made a gin and tonic in the headset, and then I carried up the stairs, two flights of stairs, a sharp knife limes gin tonic and a glass full of ice and i made it all the way here so for anyone out there wow. doubting the pass-through capabilities of vision pro i'll have you know i was dangerous like the clips program we you have a high risk tolerance yeah <laughs> <laughs> my propulsion was all good all the way up though so you know <laughs> yeah navigation on point eh? yeah. yeah elizabeth it's early where you are i don't know what you're rocking out there uh yeah i brought We'll see if I open it and maybe a show beer just, you know, as a prop. Um, but in case I do feel like drinking, I have the uh, Fremont Sky Kraken, which has mm. a pretty, pretty badass label. It's a giant oh, squid going after a blimp. Um, so <laughs> it's from Fremont Brewing, which is a Seattle institution. Uh, and then I also, for hydration, have uh, uh, sparkling water with some yuzu juice. So just yuzu. feel like that. Yuzu juice. Yuzu uh, juice. Yuzu is that is a Mickey? <laughs> uh no uh it no. comes in a small uh expensive um <laughs> bottle from like imp- you know japanese imported good oh. stores <laughs> wow. so yuzu is a, a japanese citrus that's quite delicious and mm. it makes for a great homemade sparkling water wow wow all right look at that i got yeah. so many fun google things to throw in the show notes today <laughs> <laughs> mickeys and yuzus <laughs> Why is tequila so expensive in Cancun? (laughs) 
because Cancun, I think is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> because Americans. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's all your fault. That's right. Because of the Mickeys. Oh, man. <laughs> they call them Mickeys down there, too, Jake. Yeah. They call them all, the, all the Mickeys coming across. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Jake, I dare you to go. Jake, I dare you to go to an American bar or brewery and order a Mickey. I would love to see the reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got all kinds of weird Canadian drinks I can order and get laughed out of a bar. And, and, you know, What's that horrible one that you make sometimes? The paralyzers. Paralyzer. <laughs> Such a name to. I I explained <laughs> that to the to the tequila guy, and he was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> you put milk in it with the coke?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Oh. <laughs> Already lost me. Horrible. <laughs> this is how bored they get up in the prairies. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I got a lot of milk, so. Anyway. anyway. So, uh, commercial space. It's a thing. Mm, yeah. Not a, not a fad, apparently. So, um, yeah, where do you want to start? So, I guess maybe we, we start with clips and talk about, maybe we just get your thoughts, Elizabeth, on yeah. how you think uh, Paragon went, because it's all done now. It's over and over. So, uh, what do you think? Yeah. How'd you feel about uh, it? I mean, I really respect the Astrobotic folks. I think they're great people and great engineers. And so, um, I'm really sad for them that they weren't able to attempt the lunar landing. Uh, I wish we'd gotten to, to see that attempt. And I haven't spoken to any of the scientists who had payloads on board. I'm sure they're really sad that they didn't get to collect or have a chance to collect any real scientific data because I, I know that the instruments were turned on and tested and communicated with but like when you're however many you know thousands of miles away from the moon like you, you know you're not going to get anything uh, worth publishing um but it's all part of the risk going in right um so yeah i i mean it's sad for the team i hope they were able to leverage what they got in terms of experience i mean i'm sure they got some great ops experience that they can learn from um and i wish them all the best for the viper landing yeah yeah i guess i I, i've been thinking about that too and i've been kind of figuring out like i don't i don't know the payloads that well so i should probably do a little bit more reading on on some of the stuff in there but like is there any kind of data that could be recovered like obviously it's not going to be 100 percent, but i wonder if there is Mm -hmm. something that it was worthwhile. Like I, I don't even know if all the payloads were fully optimized for the surface or were, if there were some that were meant to be kind of turned on all, at least part of the way before it operated on the surface. Right. You know? Even just yeah, for like base payloads or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd have to pull up a payload list to, to even guess. Like if you have, um, because it's a lander, I would assume, although this is me assuming, that they were optimized for surface science as opposed to anything else. Like maybe some are looking at the exosphere. Um, I, I'd have to look at the list and, and, and yeah, speculate. Yeah. Um, but still, I don't think they, even if you had an imager um, and it got close, oh, that's good. Uh, is that the website? Yeah, oh, it's this very is tiny. the, it the manifest. It. I can make it, I can make it giant. One of these buttons okay. does it. Um, I mean, these are just the names. So right. the linear yeah. energy like, transfer spectrometer. What do you think? What do you make of that? <laughs> I actually don't know what that is. Um, that's radiation sensor. We'll oh, collect radi- information about the yeah, radiation. radiation environment. It relies on flight-proven hardware that flew in space on Orion spacecraft inaugural uncrewed flight in 2014. It's being developed at NASA Johnson Space Center. So it's may- maybe for radiation. Again, maybe. this all depends on the instrument. And we're going off a sentence here, but it's possible yeah. that they were mm-hmm. able to get lunar greater, like cislunar environment radiation data if they turn that one on. Um, nervous, yeah, that one's for surface and subsurface. Uh, that one I don't think we'll be able to find anything meaningful from yep. without landing now neutron spectrometer um, system 
Yeah, those pixels tend to be really huge for orbital data. And I I'm just guessing that was supposed to be really close to the surface. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. what the like the minimum distance to be away from the surface was supposed to be, but I'm guessing whatever astrobotics. Not, not a great batting average so far for this no, <laughs> M42 no. I mean, radiation detection. Yeah, maybe radiation. Like there's definitely heliophysics data. And I don't know, again, yeah. if this is optimized for heliophysics, but heliophysicists love to have like a wide distribution of sensors across the solar system. So there yeah. could potentially be some meaningful data there, but because it was such a short mission, like it, it's like, was there a solar flare at the time? That could be interesting, but that would be yeah. really some luck. And then the instrument wasn't optimized for solar flares and heliophysics, right? It was probably optimized for the surface. And I, I don't know, it depends on what the range of particle energies would have been um, mm. in, in, keeping in mind, but I'm a geochemist, not a radiation person. So I'm just <laughs> making things what, up. <laughs> what do you think happened to this one Bitcoin that was on the surface? <laughs> How do you feel about uh, that? Do you think they still have yeah. the wallet for that? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm out of my depth here on this yeah. one. <laughs> I, I don't know if you follow cryptocurrency, Anthony, but the mm -hmm. fact that that Bitcoin was destroyed is actually good for Bitcoin. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> should have, should have bought, yeah. <laughs> bought the dip yeah. on that. It doesn't actually have any value. So the only way we create scarcity is just by eliminating Destroying other coins. Destroying half of it. This is, the only, this is how it works, okay? <laughs> the Thanos snap of Bitcoin would be great exactly. for all the Bitcoin owners. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Astrobotics is going to get any of... Um, that, that I don't think their milestone payments were in were in Bitcoin by any means. No, yeah, no. I, yeah, that would probably be against the FAR procurement <laughs> policy at NASA, if I had to guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, the other thing I was thinking too is like, I, I wonder what NASA is thinking in terms of like reflying some of these, right? So if you know if they're going to yeah. have a program that's that's got an appetite for risk and they have this big bucket of payloads, like do they have some sort of process by which these payloads get recycled back into the pool mm. are they just sent to the back of the line or do they get some sort of priority they, i'm i'm kind of curious to see I, I don't think we have answers to this i'm just speculating at this point yeah well the, the first batch what they think about that. I, wasn't the first batch of instruments just basically whatever folks at nasa had off the shelf basically like in their oh, closets no. and yeah. storage i'm serious though i, I yeah. think that's what yeah, I, and i, I forget right. the name of the program <laughs> But I think it was like whatever folks had sitting around that could be relatively rapidly integrated into one of the, the, the landers, right? Um, I, and then for future and upcoming prison programs, I haven't read the solicitations, but um, I don't think that they spec'd or funded two of the same payload. Like it would have been a good idea potentially because I, I think that it's not going to be double the cost necessarily, certainly for the design phase, right? Yeah, you do yeah, the NRE, yeah. you get the the engineering done and yes, you have to do uh, INT and that kind of thing, but like it's not double the cost for two instruments because uh, there was a level, level of scalability there. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I doubt that's the way that it was funded before if I had to guess just based on other programs like Picasso and Dolly um, that are planetary science instrument programs. Um, yeah, I, I, th that's something that could be forward looking um, and like, you need an instrument pipeline, a healthy instrument pipeline in parallel with the lander pipeline, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah. I thought I had heard that there were like quite a few instruments. So like, I kind of feel like maybe there's not going to be some of the line jumping because there's just lots ready to go. Yeah. Like, like I kind of heard that the pipeline was like 40 to 50 instruments were like ready to, okay. to go, right? So um, that's, that's old information. So we'll see what it's like now. I mean, but so like if you flew an instrument on the first clips lander, like you might be like, I'm gonna wait a couple out. 
Like I'll, I'll go on the I'll go on the sixth. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll take the sixth right. flight for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine that there's a backlog of instrumentation just from the TRL Valley of Death, right? Between what, four, TRL 4 to 6, where you have yeah. all these new instruments that get created and just can't get flights to space. And so they, they just don't get matured and then they don't get selected for discovery, new frontiers, et cetera, proposals because they haven't been proven. But they also right. don't have enough chances to go to space to become proven in TRL 9. So if I had to guess, yes, you're right. I don't know the numbers, but there probably is a backlog ready to go. Do you think that that's a factor in sort of the, I'm just spitballing now, now that you've said that, it's like triggering thoughts, but do you think that's a factor in in how this program may, like, let's assume it's successful and clips, like they, they start working and this becomes a real thing. And it's still like, it's still considered higher risk in the end because it's like, you know, you're not taking full control ownership of the vehicle as if you're NASA, mm-hmm. right? And so you're just sort of like buying these rides should be cheaper and higher risk, even when it's working. Do you think that then Clips sort of becomes that place where higher or I guess lower, t- you know, worse TRL stuff uh, mm-hmm. starts to live? And then like the the really critical, you know, s- secure things that we know work are going to be still reserved for the fancy missions. Like, do you think that's kind of how it's going to end up being? I would love to see that happen. Um, I think it would help rebalance the planetary science risk portfolio and help move um, the technology forward. Like I I worked on Messenger uh, as a postdoc. I was on the science team and the X-ray spectrometer that I did data analysis for, like the original version of that instrument, which as far as I know, wasn't that different, flew on Apollo, uh, right? So there was like, you know, generations (laughs) of scientists um, that used effectively the same instrument, like the same general architecture of the instrument. Um, And so I think there's a lot of potential. Um, However, there's a big caveat there. I think that the CLIPS program probably needs to have some kind of standardized payload interface um, that all the instruments are designing to in order to make it both cost effective and profitable for the the lander companies um, and also just easier for the instrument uh, folks who are Mm -hmm. doing the design. Uh, Because there's one of the things that I experienced um, when I was the chair of com- the commercial advisory board for the Lunar Exploration Analysis Group or League, um, just from talking to the the, the CAP members, um, it, they just had so much extra work because like Astrobotic, I think they had originally, and I'm not sure if this is the final number, but 14 NASA payloads, and they had 14 unique interfaces between the vehicle and the instruments. And so if you're working off of a fixed price contract and you, I don't know if they knew the instruments ahead of time, I'm not sure how that that worked with the RFP, yeah. or actually no, it wasn't an RFP, it was a task order. Um, like that's just a lot of extra work to figure out how to connect the instrument uh, to um, to, the, to the vehicle. Um, and that's NRE, that's not recurring engineering, that can't be scaled over time. You just have to eat that cost um, and that eats into any kind of profit margins over time. Um, yeah. And so we attempted to, to create a working group around standards. It didn't quite take off the way that I wanted to, but I know that, that folks are still thinking about this, like what would a payload standard look like for the CLIPS program? But the thing is you need to have buy-in um, from the instrument side, right? Like ahead of a design cycle for that yeah, to happen. Yeah. So it, you need to have like uh, some kind of, I don't know, synergistic like flow and the, the getting folks to agree to standards in the first place, like that's a non-trivial challenge. That's really a more of a people <laughs> yeah. issue than a technology issue, right? So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that in success, like once that hurdle is crossed, 
um, that's what clips could be. And I think that would be freaking amazing uh, mm -hmm. to be able to de-risk these novel technologies or and beyond any kind of science return, right? Like to me, almost a science return could be bonus. Um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, it's not going to help with all payloads because some of them have to be tested on Mars or, you know, this atmosphere or in Saturn mm -hmm. or wherever, right? So it's not going to be the perfect test environment for every environment because that's part yeah. for, for every target, but it could be a start and it's better than nothing. Um, so yeah, I, it could yeah. be, I hope so. Um, that, but that remains to be that seen. That thing was like, that was one of the most disappointing things for me with clips is that they didn't like NASA didn't come out strong out of the gates with some sort of, like, even if they didn't have to like invent, you know, like whatever, like planetary science USB, like they don't have to like invent a whole thing, but like if they had just kind of come out with like, here's like three classes of, of payload, you know, like with different, I don't know, power and thermal or whatever, whatever the interface has to be, you know, just like, yeah, even just like grouping into like maybe like a small handful so that there was some commonality, mm -hmm. but it, it sounds like that was completely just kind of lost over. I probably yeah. for the sake of expediency, but I don't know. It sucks. Yeah. So the first, the first call uh, or two, and I'm forgetting the program names. I think they were very convoluted and hard to remember because I can't remember them. Um, but again, those were instruments that were already designed that were sitting in people's right, labs. Right. So like you, they missed the boat on that. So maybe there could have been an opportunity for the, the first prism instrument cycle potentially. Um, but I know from talking to the clips program folks that they didn't want to artificially constrain um, you know, the market, quote unquote market, in a way that could negatively impact uh, the success of the program um, because the none of the lander companies wanted uh, to initially agree to some kind of commonality and standard yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that would require them to make compromise compromises on their own design. Like, understandably so like right this is why it's a people issue not really a technology issue yeah. because you have to get like people who are competing against each other to agree um but i think that as some of these um companies who have tasks or task orders and have gone through that int phase are seeing how hard it is to integrate you know multiple unique payloads like they're seeing the value of having that and then you have to get nasa on board at the same time so uh, yeah maybe if if clips um ends up being you know successful um, that could be something that finally has the institutional inertia from everybody to kind of come together and make it, you know, come to an agreement on how that would look. Yeah, yeah. We had, we had the discussion last week about um, uh, international docking standards, uh, docking mm. adapter for the space station. That took a while, too. That took like 50 years. <laughs> We're, still <laughs> <doing it. laughs> yeah. so, We're still doing it. We're still doing it. Maybe we have some time to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm really curious to that, like, I'm just now thinking really far future in this thing. Like, you know, what are, what are some of the common, uh, like, capabilities that every instrument's kind of taking care of on their own right now that they could eventually maybe be outsourced to the vehicle? Like, you know, like, bring it downstream, mm -hmm. right? So if you think, like, I bet you a lot of these instruments have their own, uh, you know, compute processing on board and then storage, right? So, like, that's two right. examples where you, like, if you have 12 instruments, do you really need 12 little solid state drives to store all their data? Or can there be some sort of like software interface where it dumps everything to a common drive on the vehicle side? I mean, you have some, that's a point of failure problem, I guess you have to think about, but it could make the instruments cheaper and it could standardize some things too, right? So, that's one thing I kind of think about sometimes. Yeah, I think electrical, there's already a few electrical interfaces that are relatively standard. Um, I'm, I think thermal is, that one could be problematic. Um, yeah. 
pointing is like if there's pointing requirements or kind of some kind of mobility requirement that just gets tricky. I don't know how you standardize that. Um, yeah, so yeah. I think that there's definitely classes of standards that are easier to go tackle and agree upon than others. Um, yeah. And as, yeah, as far as details go, I mean, I would leave that to engineers to discuss, but at a high level, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> there's another aspect to this of like, planning payloads that I'm curious about um, for missions like clips that are experimental in its nature. Clearly like there are things that happen during the course of these missions. And the fact that there's not the fact that this is so different than commercial cargo and crew and that it wasn't like two providers picked for development phase and then into <clears throat> operations means that we are not for a while going to get out of the teething phase of landers. Cause there's so many different landers to fly. Yeah. So from the payload planning perspective, um, I'm curious if, if you're someone that has an instrument, like what would the process be like, hypothetically, if has somebody designing an instrument, you could say like, this is my ideal operating environment, surface of the moon, this distance from the surface, but I could also get this sort of data from these other environments. Would that be something that is like within the imaginable realm to, to write out? If I was stuck in lunar orbit, I would do X, Y, and Z with my payload. If I was stuck in a high Earth orbit, I would do X, Y, and Z with a payload. Is that sort of stuff even game planable in advance so that the providers could have a, like a manifest of, all right, well, crap, something went wrong. We're, we're stuck in this. Let's look at our payload list and say, well, if we can maneuver over here, we can get 80% of our payloads to do something. Or if we maneuver over there, mm -hmm. we can get 60%. And, you know, then you can make some trades about, well, you know, we could stay in high Earth orbit, but we could probably do a lunar flyby and that would get us some additional amount of capability. I'm just wondering, are the options like too expansive to even imagine? Or do you think there are, you would be able to create like classes of utility? I think that would be hard to execute because CLIPS is a surface science program currently, the way I think that it could expand in the future and success. Um, that's my understanding. It's not ex exclusively uh, for surface science, but it means that if you're a payload, if you're a surface scientist, like a lunar geologist, geochemist, or you study the exosphere, that kind of thing, your payload and your science goals are going to be specific to that location. And so I don't see a, a scientist um, who has that expertise, that motivation, those scientific objectives, um, finding any value in an orbital um, regime yeah. and coming up with anything of value that, that helps them achieve their science questions that they're trying to go after. Um, so there could be exceptions to that. Um, but for surface science, I find that really hard to believe. If, let's say if you were, like, even if you're an orbiter, let's say in, hypothetically, um, there's Eclipse orbiter, um, you still want to get really close to the moon to do good orbital science, right? So if you're still over at Earth, like, there's still, yeah. you're still not getting what you need. Um, and so unfortunately, I, I have a hard time envisioning um, a case where, where that kind of structure for the program the could exist. Only one I could imagine is like, you know, if Peregrine was um, able to do a lunar impact, like could Astrobotic have tested enough of their descent navigation, like to train relative navigation stuff that they had on board? They'd be able to test that on a impact to descent, like an a descent to impact? Um, or would you be able to capture anything on the way down through, you know, mm. the the lower altitudes of the moon on the way to, yeah, to slamming yeah. in, or are you going too fast at that point to do anything interesting? I mean, I guess it depends on how good your data relay is at that point, right? And yeah. like, if stars are literally aligned, yeah. Like there's that classic image from oh shoot, um, what was the 
I'm totally blanking. What was the spacecraft that visited uh, Comet 63P? No, 67P. Mm. Was, uh, was that I a, don't, I last that image don't remember from, this one because Jake's all about that follow-on mission. Was it? Yeah. I think it was Rosetta. Rosetta. Yeah, Rosetta is the... Philae? Hold, hold on. Actually, yeah. I, I think I have an image of this on my website and this is embarrassing and I can't remember. Um, I love it. Google me, she says. Well, I'm, I'm Googling myself right now, which uh, sounds bad. Um, so, no, it was near near Shoemaker. Um, so near Shoemaker, land, like it did a crash landing, right? Um, right. Which isn't was, it wasn't what it was designed to do. Um, and I don't know how to share this with you guys, but there's this image where I gotcha. uh, the very last image. Yeah, there we go. The last image. It's just it, it was sending data all the way like until it crashed. You can see where it crashed because the um, image pixels just kind of like. <laughs> die that was right? it. mid image yeah. uh so maybe if you can do something like that like that that can work the, the um, dart space pack did this too right dart had the the red line at the end or whatever, yeah right? yeah so i i guess it depends on your com and like i don't i don't know anything about that stuff this to even speculate um <laughs> it, it's yeah, but I I, like now that i'm thinking about it from a mission ops perspective and timing and designing an instrument like it's hard part of it's hard which and it takes time, time is money, all of a sudden you're driving off your mission costs and your instrument costs. And so is this gonna be a low cost, simple instrument if you're trying to optimize yeah, for all these different yeah, yeah. edge cases? Um, so like maybe, but I'm not sure it's worth it. I think mm -hmm. I think in general, it's to try and do low cost science, I think you have to be really focused, have a very specific question that you're trying to answer know exactly what data you need and have it be really as simple as possible. And so if all of a sudden you have all this other stuff going on, like you're going against that um, objective of simplicity, which in turn results in low cost mm -hmm. often. Yeah. This, I mean, this, this often, like, this is the, the question we have a lot about the, the idea of how far can you commercialize, you know, planetary science, because like, so like science is, is like, science is inherently hard to commercialize because like it is sort of by definition going after novel new things. And so like the idea of mass production is hard with science. Like you, you can't, they're, they're kind of incompatible ideas in some way. And so like, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about, you think about science on earth, there are some things we can mass produce. We can mass produce your rock hammers and your compasses for your field geology. Like that's, that's great. You know, everyone needs a compass. Let's make those fine. So we can like, we can mass produce some things, but you know, when it comes to the at the at the mission level, um, it's it's hard to to mass produce that. Um, even if you could reduce the cost by a factor of like a hundred, it still becomes kind of challenging. Because then planetary science layers in this additional problem compared to other sciences, where every place we go is a unique special snowflake environment. Like yes, and even like not even just the surfaces, like the orbits of every planet are unique special snowflake environments, right? And so like yep, temperature, yeah, radiation, you know, like, like ah, dust, depending on where you make, are. It's like, like all the things. <laughs> you're gonna make some sort of like magic orbiter that you can just send in, like you know, make a thousand of them and send them everywhere. Like it's even just at the orbit level, it's really hard to do. And so at right. the instrument level, it's even harder, right? Yeah. And so I it's kind of it's kind of a I don't know, I don't know what the solution is to that, but like I, I kind of admire the clips program for even going after that because <laughs> it's, tr it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do wonder yeah. like in a different timeline, if they had done the CC dev uh, type model were like more akin to commercial crew, commercial cargo, all that, as opposed to throwing in um, like doing this task order, IDIQ type contract model, because 
that requires instead of like putting your eggs in two baskets, like uh, for CC dev, et cetera, um, where you're helping in the R&D phase, the development phase, like bring that technology to fruition um, and then flipping over to a services model. Like here, you've got um, small businesses, small companies going after these task orders. And I think the challenge there is like beyond what you're talking about, Jake, like there's no guarantee you're going to win every task order or any task order. And how do you do business planning like from a long-term sustainability perspective? Like let's say Astrobotic didn't win Viper. Would they have to be, would they be laying off all of their staff right now if they didn't have another contract? Right. Um, And so I think there's a real business sustainability side of this um, given that the lunar economy in my mind is also still a hypothesis that we're testing right now. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there were non-NASA payloads on, on um, Astrobotics mission, and there's going to be some on IM. Um, but, like, like how much... Been, we, can, we can admit they were a little gimmicky, those commercial payloads, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like marketing one-off type things, right? It's like, yeah. what what is the sustainability angle from, from a business perspective? Like, where is the longevity when you do how business protections? How many to the moon every year? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What is the market yeah. for shipping bitcoins to the moon? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's hard. It's really, it's tricky. Um, yeah, and especially you, if you look at some of these early task orders, like the prices on them, you're like, did you make money on that? I, uh... Yeah, honestly, civil space is a really challenging market to make money. And I think there's there's intangible value. Um, let's say, like for Lockheed, using Lockheed as an example, they can talk about their civil space missions. It's inspiring. It's exciting. It helps with recruiting. Like there's definitely intangible value that's brought to companies that participate in these types of things. Like publicity is great. Um, that kind of thing. Like you can't talk about defense, you know, these um, like top secret type contracts and stuff. And the marketing isn't going to be as good, you know, <laughs> compared to something yeah. like, you know, uh, touching an asteroid, like with Osiris Rex. Um, so there, there is intangibility there, but you also have to pay the bills and make payroll and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. You can't just um, generate a business Exist. off of inspiration. I, so I've heard some people, I've been talking to a lot of people about clips lately, and I've heard some people talk about the task order sizes, Jake, that you mentioned and how like, you know, a third to a half of the money is just headed SpaceX's way eventually. Like that's mm-hmm. just kind of the state that it's in. Yeah. And if NASA is looking at this as like, they want to bootstrap this industry. This is an argument that I've heard that I don't know where I come down on yet. So I'm throwing it out here for discussion. Why not also buy a handful of Falcon nines? Mm-hmm. And in like the way that you think about these landers where we're going to buy a lander and we'll just slot in some payloads on it. Like, how about we, buy a rocket and slot in some landers on it um that that's like a a thing that would be valuable to bootstrapping um like a bulk order even right like buy buy 10 of them at a a lower cost no right exactly get bulk pricing but then also try to like put you know landers together uh like that that kind of situation Mm -hmm. i don't know what anyone makes of that i like it i can see like from a science perspective um it would probably allow you to put together more coherent science missions for, let's say, each. Um, if you, you had like, a, okay, so right now with the way that the the clips landers are uh, manifested and their payloads are manifested, like each scientist is basically fighting the other scientists for the resources of the lander and the time and the ability to collect their data, right? Uh, but if you had a more coherent um, 
set of instruments that are complementary and trying to achieve similar objectives and answer similar the same questions, I could see that being like more OOI, ROI purely from a science perspective um, because you have planning at that level. Um, like traditionally at in NASA missions, science like give a science team who's like adjudicating these conflicts, um, trying to balance the needs of the instruments and the needs of the scientists and and the science they're trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have particular insight or knowledge, but I'm pretty sure the companies are the ones who are adjudicating those conflicts from a mission ops perspective. And they're not necessarily suited to figure out what science coll- data collection gets the most uh, ROI, yeah. which is like a very hard to quantify unit of measure, right? Like how do you yeah, quantify yeah, that yeah. by its publications? Um, so I can see the value of what you guys are talking about there being just having a more coherent mission where that's balanced at the scientist level by a team of folks, as opposed to a bunch of engineers and uh, who don't necessarily understand at the, like a very detailed level, the value of a particular instrument in the context of like the yeah, science yeah. of the moon. Um, so that, that's one first thought. I think what, one thing that bugs me about it is that like, I don't feel like that was a decision that was really on the table. I think that clips was approached from like a, the only way we're going to make this pot, you know, if you're NASA, the only way this is going to work, the only, only way we're going to get money from Congress to do this is if we like, everything is just commercial. Like we're literally just buying the ride. And so we're just going to like outsource every responsibility and every cost to these companies. And then mm-hmm. that way NASA is like, not really a big deal yep. to us. We just a little, little bit of money. There's not no harm, no foul. Like, and so if they're, if they're getting in there and buying the rockets and, and organizing the groups more yeah. and doing all that, then, then it's, it's not the program that you would advertise. Right. And so it's, yeah. it's tricky, right? I, I think it's hard. For I remember, <laughs> yeah, I think that there's actually, um, not that, so procurement is a boring topic, but it's also incredibly important. And if I remember correctly, I think I heard from someone in the clips program that if they had at the time of the program's creation, if they'd gone if it had become a more expensive program, it would have triggered more regulation from the FAR um, and more rules mm. and oversight. Right. And so I think that there was like a, a programmatic reason at NASA to not do that. I'm not sure right. whether having Viper changes that, probably not because mm. it's an active contract and I'm sure that stuff gets set ahead of time. Um, but yeah. Honestly, I would love to have you guys talk to someone from procurement <laughs> like on the show, like get a, a beer two in and then just, cause like, I think a lot of what's happening on like in commercial space, like, yes, we've got all this technological revolution, um, but contract vehicles are incredibly important. It's like, what incentives do you have in place to create what results do you, that you want? Like, I, and I, I'm wondering if what we're seeing now is like, yes, there's the quote unquote, like lunar economy that we're testing with the idea of a coast program, but like the procurement side of it, like maybe the original sin, if this doesn't work out is in the, the contract method, um, mm-hmm. which could be a, a paper that I, and maybe one other person would read if somebody ever wrote like, <laughs> 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 Pretty niche. paper for two. You, you and Casey Dreyer <laughs> would pour over it. As the, like, oh my God. the same people yeah. as the audience for it. Yes. Casey and I, yes, yes. Yeah, we're in. You can do it on this show if you want, because that sounds up our yeah, You can live read it if you want. Oh, man. But it's weird, though, because yeah. you're right, Jake, that like the clips is in a situation where it was like 
we started at Google Google Lunar X Prize and we wanted to end up at Commercial Cargo. So I guess we're here. <laughs> this is this is the model <laughs> we're at. You know, like it was bound by the the start and the endpoints envisioned. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. my my big fear okay. if the Clips program ends up getting canceled because of mission failure is that the science community just is like, oh, commercial's bad. Let's not do commercial. Like that's just a bad thing. And there's a lot more nuance to it than that, yeah. I think. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I have just questions though if this even meets like the fully commercial setup, though. Like, you know, this this is yeah. Like Viper. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like there's Viper is a cost plus contract in a trench coat, as I call it. So. Yeah. There's, it says commercial in the tin, but I'm like, is this is. And, right. and that's why part of why I'm like trying to dig into this stuff so much is that I don't think I I think I would get it if it was a, a program, if this was like a typical planetary science program managed in the way the typical ones are. I just want to mm -hmm. analyze it then as that, not as the model that we're seeing with commercial on the tin elsewhere. Right. Like. It's, it feels to me, admittedly one mission in, that this is more commercial on the name, but not necessarily in the execution. Whereas the other ones, like commercial, I mean, let's use space stations as an example that I always ran about. Like, that's going to fall apart in my view because they're being true to it being commercial. And they're like, find the customers or else, like, this is it. This is all we got. Like, we've got $100 million. <laughs> figure it out, you know? And it's like, all right, well, it won't work then. So... That's fine, but I, I don't know that I want a space station program that's just contracted out ISS. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. Hmm. I'm just, I'm trying to, I guess my point is, I don't think I care either way, whether this is like true capital C commercial or lowercase c commercial. I just want to be able to then assess it appropriately. Is this a weird <laughs> offshoot of the regular planetary science program, or is this commercial cargo for the moon nobody knows I, I, nobody knows. I don't think they know <laughs> I think they want it to be commercial cargo for the right. moon but 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 it's structured they, they don't they given the political constraints right now I don't think we could go get a commercial cargo program for the moon where we pick two providers and we I mean there's only one peregrine there is only one peregrine ever and it's mm -hmm. that was it that was all the peregrines that there will ever be they're on to Griffin now whereas you know in the other model you'd have you know, a dev flight or two, and then six task orders right off the bat. And there's some sense of stability. And like you're saying, Elizabeth, like not an immediate sense of confusion about what our future is as a company. I even wonder that about Griffin. You're telling, like, you're telling me we're all going to put this half a billion dollar rover on the next one up. Like they tested a is lot of stuff out of that mission, but are we doing that? You know, that's, I, I'm, I'm like, wow. I mean, number one, Jake and I, like two weeks ago, we're like, yeah, Viper, I already got delayed to 2025. It didn't. It's still on the schedule for this year. We just made it up in our heads that it was delayed a year. <laughs> so, you know, like we already, our, our subconscious doesn't believe that it's flying this year. So that's my rant. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. So Mars then. Yeah. We, Commercial we got Mars. Commercial Mars, yep. or uh, Cumps, as I like to call it. Oh, uh, the commercial. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Change that acronym. Oh, my God. The Commercial Mars Payload Services, Cumps. Um, so <laughs> we <laughs> we saw we saw this news from NASA. This is pretty interesting. So they're they're. It's just like it's not it's not an RFP yet. It's like an RFI ish type thing. They're like trying to figure no, out. It's, it's an RFP now, isn't it? 
Is it full RFP? RFP? I thought it was. It was for a study, though, right? Isn't it just for a study? It's for it's a like, study. So it's it's for two hundred thousand dollars study contract. <laughs> it's an RFP <laughs> for proposals for information. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there it's is an an RFI back RFI in October. Money. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. So they're looking to. They're they basically like four like reference missions. There's like tiny payloads and tiny hosted payloads, and then medium mm -hmm. payloads and medium hosted payloads. Then we have like actual direct imaging service, like by the pictures rather than the instrument. And then we have this other one, which is uh, the communications network, which I've been asking for for yeah. like 10 years. Your so pipe it's dream. great. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm so excited for that. Uh, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed with this. So I'm just curious to know what you think about this. You know, right I love that we set up 45 yet, but... minutes of this context of like, I don't know, ooh, is this going to work? And you're like, what do we yeah. think about this one? That's a zero harder. <laughs> <laughs> you're, but you're pumped. You're all in on it. I didn't know where you land on this. Yep. Uh, I'm glad. Wow. Yeah. I, I I think that the Mars community sees, you know, the, what's happening after Perseverance. Um, and of course, we're watching MSR fall apart in real time at the moment. Um, and so you have this entire community of scientists and engineers who have this super super niche expertise on the operation, development, science of Mars missions. And what are they going to do now, um, you know, after these missions that are currently active on Mars? And um, like I, have, I have colleagues, friends who are scientists who are like looking at the end of perseverance, whatever that might be, and saying, what, like, where's my data going to come from then? Like, what, what now? Like, who am I without these missions? Um, and so I think the Mars Exploration Program is trying to understand how to leverage or how to get their own version of clips, like essentially, but perhaps not fully appreciating um, like what I said earlier is that it, the lunar, uh, like clips is an experiment in and of itself. The lunar economy is still an experiment in and of itself. I'm not convinced um, that it, it's going to come to fruition. I think it's, we should give it a good go. I think we should try. I think there's a lot of exciting work and development from a technology standpoint. There could be so much benefit from a science standpoint. Um, I, 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 I'm really passionate about low cost science exploration, um, just in the solar system. And so I, I see my career as a series of experiments and like being a different startups trying to understand like, is, does this model work? <laughs> Maybe, no, okay, uh, move on to the next one, right? Uh, so I, I'm passionate about trying to make it work. Um, but from a business standpoint, I have a hard time believing that there's a case to be made for Mars. Like, and I just think for the moon, moon has context. You've worked at a company focused on asteroid mining. And you're saying that I have. So I feel like that's a, <laughs> that's a good thing to note in this conversation. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Said the guy who wore a headset all day and worked inside of a, that environment. So just a level set on my side as well. <laughs> you know, I feel like context helps. Yes. That's, uh, that, that's how I got my yeah. start in, um, in commercial space, asteroid mining for sure. Um, but yeah, so Mars, I mean, I think, I think the most viable, option could be like of the three sorry four drms that are that you that have been described and are in the rfp um i think the com one is interesting we know we know that um uh the mro right is the one that they use, currently primarily use for and odyssey odyssey a lot too right odyssey yeah right so we we know that those are slowly dying and that we need a replacement this has been a talk something you're talking the community's been talked about for forever and it, and, and so now can we leverage community now it, commercial services like and i'm not on the imaging side i look at a company like planet and i see 
I, for the record, I love Planet. I think that they've really revolutionized um, like how you can do space sci science from space, um, and then you know also creating different markets and verticals. But there's so much activity and change. Earth is so dynamic. Mars doesn't have that level of industry or any industry right now, or level of even uh, geological dynamicism. Like it doesn't. Things don't change on a daily basis. And so from the imaging mm, side, take that I, I can't. Mm. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> I, I, I just I can't see transferring that model to Mars and it being profitable. Um, and yeah, yeah. I spent about five minutes a few days ago trying to figure out if um, Planet is profitable. I don't know, I have an answer to that yet. But <laughs> but if it's not, and again, I don't I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, although I think the information is publicly available. Like I can't see the case mm. being made for Mars. Communication again, maybe, especially because international space agencies, ones that aren't NASA, they could be customers potentially. Um, but then who else is a customer? And the way that these services models work, like you need multiple customers. It's not just NASA. That's how you make money in the end um, and theoretically have this cost savings for everyone. I I think it's an interesting model and I'm skeptical it's going to work at least in the next decade. Have you, have you considered approaching this from an NRO, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency perspective and saying that China has assets on the surface of Mars and we need to keep track of them at all times? Oh, could probably well, shake loose a planet constellation worth of funding on that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, planet, if, um, give me a ring. You know, got it. <laughs> I'm a short drive away from DC. I can go. Yeah, I can go well, to someone, Congress. If, if someone from the DOD like trips in DC and like some money falls out <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the sidewalk, I'll, I'll and NASA scoop it up. can take I it. I have a little dustbin. <laughs> yeah. Scrape it right up. <laughs> uh, no, maybe no, really. I, just a side note there. Space Force currently, I think for the 2023 budget, like they have the same rough budget as NASA does. Like they've only been around for a few yep. years um, and they have about the same budget. And so I think that's just worth noting is how much more money is in the DOD. So maybe that's actually an interesting point then, right? Because yep. a lot of one way to make a space business work is, okay, you have your civil space line of business, but you get most of your money from like intelligence or from um, defense or someone in the military, right? Yep. Um, and that's where most of your money comes from. Um, but of course you talk more, more about uh, the civil space stuff in, in media and publicly. Um, They're all rockets. Maybe, just yeah, it's the same directions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> and I don't love that. Like as a scientist, like I definitely want the peaceful use of space, etc. Um, but we have to acknowledge that there are things happening on a um, diplomatic plane of existence that I don't exist at or think about very often, <laughs> right. but I know is very important for to consider. So. I don't know, the cislunar space is becoming more of a thing for the intelligence community. Absolutely. Whether that's being sended to Mars, I haven't heard, but like, no, the White not. House is doing the past that couple right of years. This is it. Right. Right here. Yeah. Right. That's the lobbying <laughs> group. Our it. lobbying group. We're okay. making one right now. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll call Casey, get him to join, and we'll go. <laughs> we'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So, so I, I, I mean, I generally agree with you. Like, I'm, I'm, I guess I should quantify or clarify why I'm hyped about this, right? Because I, I don't, I don't think I see like a, a explosion of, of science payloads like happening because of this, like, I, I don't really, that's not why I'm really excited about it. I think, I think more this offers a commercial vessel to allow some companies to finally do something on a different planet. Right. Because right yes. now they're, they're just like, there isn't everything outside of the, the earth moon system is like fully in government control right yep. and mm -hmm. and that's been great we've done lots of cool stuff but like like this i've always said like 
you know, something, take a look at someone like SpaceX where they, they talk Mars, big talk all the time. Mars, Mars, Mars. We're going to, we're going to invent a new civilization and a bunch of other like, you know, mumbo jumbo. Right. But like the whole, what's been standing in the way of that. And if you follow their pattern the whole time is they've always got their customers to pay for their R and D. So everything that they do, like pays for the next thing. Right. And this is, this is that bridge they need. A Mars mm-hmm. comnet is now a, a government-sponsored excuse to send stuff at Mars and all their new fancy spaceships, right? Like this is this is what they're mm, looking yes. for. Like someone someone in the Starship department is like like you know got a lot of got a lot of drinks bought for them when someone this in the Starlink department. It doesn't even need Starship. You exactly. got all these other now, rockets laying around. We're gonna have you know take an old ass Falcon not, Nine and get some Starlinks out there. See what's going on. They can they can yeah. build the Mars Link now and and do that whole thing, right? And it's it's Starship. There's some room on there. They can knock out all four of these RFPs on one flight. You know, like In fact, just the FAA would yeah, love if it never all. came back to Earth. <laughs> Probably be great. <laughs> it's like, what do you want? Send I'll it out there. <laughs> SpaceX would be like, uh, 100 million. I'll do 100 of the little ones, 100 of the medium <laughs> ones, 50 Mars links, and uh, 12 cameras. That's, I'll do it all for you. Like, whatever you want. Like, I'll, we can fit it all on one flight. We'll send it over there. So now, like, SpaceX has an excuse to do this, and they're going to get some experience. My my fear would be is it's only SpaceX that does it. That to me kind of ends up sucking in the long run because I don't want one company to be in charge of that. So like right. I hope that Impulse and Relativity and all these other companies that have, been, have said Mars in a press release somewhere are gonna you know also jump on this and be a part of it. But I think it's it's kind of one of those opportunities. And like you said, sometimes these models don't work, but we gotta try them, and this is it. We're trying it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm excited. Yeah. So one thing that comes to mind too with this um, this the study contract, they're only for 200k, which isn't actually that much money for the level of detail that they're asking for in the statement of work. Um, right. So It'll weed out weed out the the non-committals. Yeah. <laughs> well, non-commit non-committals. Like I, I don't know that anyone's going to be making any money off of a study contract. And when you're making a decision on whether to go after an opportunity like this, like you you go after a study contract if you see a big opportunity in the future. And that's, I think there's a nebulous opportunity that like we know this need exists, but I don't think there's any funding at a very significant yeah. level dedicated to it, right? Um, so I'll be very interested to see how many people or companies actually um, respond to the, the opportunity. Um, well, like, you know, SpaceX yeah. doesn't care, doesn't really care about because they're going to, they say they're going to do it anyway, right? Like we're going to, that's sure. what we're doing. So like if we can get some extra revenue on the sides, Fantastic, right? And I'm hoping yeah. some other. I'm talking companies, about everyone who isn't SpaceX. <laughs> I'm hoping some other companies are thinking that way too. Like, if you know, like, yeah. So, relativity is one that comes to mind. They have like explicitly said, like, we really want to do Mars stuff. We want to like all the stuff we're doing now mm-hmm. is to do Mars stuff. So, like, now it's this is where they have to put their money where their mouth is, right? And it'll be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. Nailed it. All right, that was it. I guess. Yeah, you didn't even need. You need only fifty-six minutes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, we'll have to, I'm excited to read. I think we'll make those studies public. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Maybe. Not. You think Government's they will be? Them. Maybe. I can't tell. I don't know how that stuff works. This is the, this is the problem see, this with all this commercial stuff. We don't get to know anything. It's all IP. Yeah. No, actually, you're right. They're not going to be because um, I was I was thinking of the most recent time that there were planetary science mission concepts and studies put out, but that was for the decadal survey, which is by definition publicly available to everyone. Yeah, but there's definitely yeah. going to be IP and confidential info um, in these reports. So unfortunately, we might see some 
like blurbs about the concept or certainly a list of who gets awarded to do the study contract. But yeah, well, we'll see if anybody chooses to make yeah. their, their results public. I hope so. Yeah. Cause I want to read it. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> the, the RFP was like apparently 496 pages long. So that's, that sounds like well, that's what I was thinking yeah. about. Like, it takes it's gonna people are gonna spend two hundred thousand dollars just putting together the proposal for two hundred thousand dollars of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta spend yeah, money to want, make money. If you yeah. want ten people to read the RFP so they can work on it, that'll be already two hundred thousand dollars. Oh wow. Hmm. Well. Okay, well we solved it, I think, guys. I think it's figured out. I mean did it. We're at least getting a lobbying <laughs> every job. Time we, I don't know, every you know? time we do one of these clips, we do this clips episode every once in a while where we're like, what is clips? You yeah. know? And we like do that. And then, and every time at the end, we always do the same thing. Oops, solved it. Figured it yeah, out. Yeah, I guess so is it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, the, but we end early because we're like, I, think, I mean, that's all I thought about clips so far. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I just was interested to uh. pick your brain on like, because you said you were interested in talking about the future of clip stuff, whether that was like, you know, the survivability of the program overall i'm curious about that in the budget environment in it we're in also it's now the season of clips like how many landers can we crash into the moon before people start asking questions in a tight budget environment not a great combo mm. in my view no nope. um but also the task yeah, orders are I, out I, there and like what we know from maston when they closed up shop a lot of the task order money was already paid out. So the, I think the milestones at the end are, are very little relatively to the overall thing. So even if it gets canceled, is that okay? I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about exactly the milestones. <laughs> seconds, yes. This is like, we turned into cable television. You have 60 seconds, go. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, let's see. Let's just hope for the best, I guess. <laughs> I'll sum it up. Um, I, hopefully I am succeeds and then, uh, Astrobotic has a chance to, to continue. I mean, I, I can't imagine Astrobotic wouldn't get a chance to, I mean, they're so far along at this point. I'd be thought that they're going to be launching, you know, <laughs> next year, but if it's happening this year, theoretically, then that's, that's going to go after that. Um, I don't remember what the, the next good mission is. Um, but I hope that Draper, Firefly, one of those, uh, probably Draper. Draper Firefly was, was like the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I guess the, the question is if these are, they're all failures, um, not going to win that they're not, uh, then what? And I have a hard time believing that NASA is going to be able to justify use of taxpayer funds to continue um, this, this program. If there's mixed results, I hope that they can stand by it. If it's you know successful, well, that's awesome. And I can't wait to see what data we get back from the moon. Um, but we have to acknowledge that, you know, a company like SpaceX can, put together videos of their rocket failures and make almost a joke out of it. Like they can kind of spin that however they want, but NASA has to be a good steward of taxpayer funds. And so they're under a different set of um, circumstances and restrictions and considerations when it comes to this kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, if, if, because, you know, as we, we say, uh, space is hard and yeah. if these things fail, I, I can't blame NASA if they eventually just have to cancel the program. Um, my hope, though, is folks can just appreciate the nuance, um, which is a lot to ask of people who don't know what <laughs> the nuance is. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fact that the procurement may have been a factor in all of this, like, that's, uh, again, me and Casey will we'll read that paper, whoever <laughs> writes it, and it'll just be the two of us. Um, but yeah, yeah. 
knocking. Um, I have a cherry desk. I'm knocking on wood to, for all the, the luck in the world down to. What kind of you got, Jake? Stuff. I got some weird cheap Mexican wood. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Didn't come from well, that tequila store. <laughs> No, I hired a guy on Facebook to build this. Yeah. 15 bucks or something. So. <laughs> Elizabeth, ah, cool. where can people follow along if they do not know about you? Sure. Uh, find me on LinkedIn or my personal website, elizabethafrank.com. Which has a, under the fun menu, has this travel photos thing that we did not talk about, but these are fantastic photos. So everyone yeah. should go check this out. Thank you. Yeah. Been lucky to see a lot of beautiful places. That's awesome. There's some rocket launches in there too for the space nerds. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, you got anything for us? Uh, no, I'm just getting back in the swing of things. So uh, we, you and I have work to do. We got to start doing some episode planning uh, pretty soon. If here, you wanted but, uh, to see me in this thing, where should you go, Jake? Hypothetically. You should go to opnom.com slash discord and sign up for five bucks a month where we do a pre-show 45 minutes before this show mm-hmm. is a live pre-show only for discord members and we never know it's even more crazy than the real show we never know what's going to happen there so today uh, was just today straight was, up a vision <laughs> pro review like that's all it was <laughs> today was a vision pro review and me very uncomfortable with the entire sequence so and my was, weird <laughs> 3d hands <laughs> Yeah, weird high Anthony <laughs> avatar. I do look really sleeping in the ghost. in the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what you can get. That's, that's the what you exciting get. stuff you can get. That's for what we your offer. Money. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you for hanging out and get yes. great guests like this. So Elizabeth, you're fantastic. Thanks for hanging out and putting up with us. We're glad we finally got you on. So thanks for hanging yes. out. <laughs> great to be here. Take See care. everybody. Bye. Bye, everyone. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. End of test.